stargazers, welcome to Seventh House Astrology, where I take any topic that is related to astrology or a topic related to relationships and romance. I investigate it under the lens of Sinistry Astrology, otherwise known as Love or Relationship Astrology, in order to find out more of the truth about relationships and what love and relationships really mean. I am your host, Sandra Misek, and I'm so glad that you guys have joined me for today. So today, Stargazers, I am super excited for our episode. I actually have been musing about this particular theory for a while now, and it was just recently that I've actually come up to it to where I've decided to kind of, on a whim, try this. Um, this is definitely led by intuition. This is definitely led by inspiration. It's really... It's been thought over, but really it's, it's, it's definitely taking a stab for sure. But that is really combining my two loves in life. So first and foremost, there is astrology, as always. But then um, also there is the Enneagram. So while everyone was kind of in the pandemic and getting into the sourdough sort of craze, and everyone was kind of getting into DIY and... Um, or DIYing, um, I actually not only got into vocal music at that time, I also got into the Enneagram, um, all thanks and due in part to Ian Morgan Cron, who is the author of The Road Back to You, which is actually the essential book on the Enneagram. And um, it's a good one as well. So I've actually listened to it on audio. I actually come back to it often. Um, I check it out from the library often, and I it's it's one of those staple books that I come back to frequently when it comes to the Enneagram. And, um, you know, due to his YouTube videos, especially like on how each type, um, you know, kind of copes or how each type can kind of, you know, what they can kind of think about as they were coping with the pandemic and the stress of the pandemic, you know, kind of reawakened my interest in the Enneagram as well, too. And originally I was um, in, actually introduced the Enneagram when I was a junior in high school. Um, actually, one of my peers, her mom was actually a psych. Uh, I don't want to say she was a psychologist because um, therapists have an umbrella of different degrees. I really think she was more along the lines of just a therapist um, she might have been a, a psychiatrist for all that I know. She might have just been a psychologist. I'm not sure. Back in the day, we used to say psychologist or psychiatrist to, to establish degrees. But um, she was definitely in therapy, or she's definitely a therapist. And she worked with inmates often and utilized the Enneagram with them. Um, so kind of did a little bit of like Jungian sort of therapy with um, particular inmates and um, basically used the inmate, you know, the inmates actually would take a test. They would determine that it would determine their type. And then throughout session and throughout counseling, um, it would be that type would come into play. And how do you feel about this? These are common themes that, uh, you know, type one or type six would deal with. And, you know, how do you, how do you cope with these things and kind of integrate it into the therapeutic system? One day um, within phonetics, 
this, uh, you know, my colleague's uh, mother actually did come in as a guest to kind of uh, phrase it as, you know, when it comes to speeches, when it comes to debate, how do we all interact as we know our Enneagram type? And she introduced the Enneagram to us. Now, back then I thought I was a type five. And of course, you know, um, what's actually discouraged, according to Ian Morgan Cron, is to not type kids because they're still growing. Their psyches are still growing. Um, their individual outlook and their perspectives, as well as core fears, core desires, which are two main uh, foci of the Enneagram. They're still developing, but back then I, I, I identified as a type five um, at that time, and I remembered I felt very liberated. I, I don't know how much of the class identified like how we debated based off of our Enneagram types, as much as we were all just like hopping up and down, super excited that we found our type at that time and that we that we felt so heard and so um, understood by the Enneagram and singing its praises into the hallway. Well, a um, couple of years had lapsed. Um, so I, I just remembered I had the Enneagram diagram up on my wall for a little while Um in my late teens into my 20s, I kind of lost sight of it until, again, about the pandemic. The pandemic really brought it back up. And actually, it's kind of interesting. Um, I have actually mistyped myself a gazillion times with the different tests that are out there. And I actually don't know my type. And hence why this ep- the, hence how this episode came about. Um, so before I launch into the Enneagram and what exactly it is for those who are not familiar with it, um, I really just, uh, you know, I, I kind of dove into the astrology, like if there are markers in the birth chart that actually can determine your main type in the Enneagram. Now, um, I do just want to take this um, with a grain of salt again before I introduce the Enneagram. There are Enneagram astrologers out there in the world. One particular person is um, the is Enne Astrology, um, or the author of the site of Enne Astrology. She actually um, gave her misgivings about Enne Astrology before launching into the topic, mainly because um, she'd said, you know, if I just use astrology to determine a type, that also takes away from, you know, that person's self-reflecting you know, if the core motivations, the core desires of that particular type do apply and also, you know, to self-reflect on that type entirely, really to kind of take that time to get to know yourself. And while um, I'm understanding that theory, um, I'm just saying, I I would just kind of like to just say with this episode, um, what I propose with astrology is just something that can be used as another tool So if you are like me and say that you do know the Enneagram, you would really love to know your type and you're having a hard time um, and that's that's pretty common. You're having a hard time finding that. Um, This could be just another tool that you could use with the tests and also with research, Um, but nothing actually replaces the research when it comes to the type. So make sure to um, look up your type if you do find any sort of patterns in your birth chart uh, that indicate that. 
and make sure that type really does resound with you because um, to launch into what the Enneagram is, so Ennea um, is Greek for nine, and then gram is obviously the diagram that is used. The Enneagram is basically a nine-pointed star. It, um, I was introduced to it, when I was first introduced to it in high school, it was kind of introduced as like a psychological, or it's like a tool for psychology, you know, to kind of know your psychological underpinnings, really, and to get to know yourself that much more. Um, the origins, however, unlike astrology, the origins are a little bit of a mystery. Um, there are some who've said that it actually starts to originate with Sufism, uh, with Sufites, and that Sufi, that the Sufites actually use the Enneagram a little bit um, similarly to how a lot of Christians today use the Enneagram, which is how my type relates to relating with God. You know, God created me. God created a, you know, a version of me or created my personality for a reason. And for Christians, it's a lot of, you know, how to know, know why God created me and also why God did the things that he did. And Sufism kind of similar as well. And I think also with Sufism, um, the types were actually used to dive into deeper, more hidden mystical meanings as well, too. Um, for me personally, um, being a typing system that it is, I've noticed the psych the psychological part and also what I've noticed for those who do know their type and listening to those who do know their type, it's a way to kind of self-improve. Um, you know, we have core fears, core desires that might lead us to unhealthy habits. And really, um, from what I've heard from those who do have a definite type and they're unwavering, like say somebody who's a type four, they're unwavering in that, they do notice that they have, while some of these behaviors could be subconscious, sometimes not so much, um, other times not so much. It's just like, why do I why do I daydream or why do I, you know, constantly fixate on, you know, old lovers, for instance, and want to, you know, call them and stir drama. Um, the Enneagram kind of gives that answer for them. It's like, well, you're type four. That's part of the, that's part of the type. Um, you know, it's, it's really kind of a way to help you understand why you work the way that you do. Uh, very similar to astrology, you know, with astrology, we're not only dealing with predictions, but we're also dealing with, you know, with our birth chart, who, who are we? And, um, you know, along with combining astrology with the Enneagram today, the other thing that I'd love to impart is the component of how to relate. Um, I really think that the Enneagram also covers that just a little bit mainly covers like who I am and why I do what I do. But um, I really would love to see if the components that make up your type in your birth chart can also reveal a lot about how you relate, why you relate as you do, and, you know, maybe some of the pitfalls of how you relate, the style that you relate to. Um, and again, like I said, this is a this is one theory, Stargazers. Um, what I'm proposing, what I'm doing for this episode today is one theory. 
I hope it's helpful. Um, but like I said, do not take my, just my word for it. Um, definitely again, if with the interest with your type and your Enneagram type, really dive in, do the, the research and also the necessary inner work that's involved with it as well. So kind of getting into it, um, when it comes to Enneagram and astrology, when I first approached this episode, I'm going to be honest with you, I thought it would be like two unlike systems merging together or kind of comparing or trying to make do with two unlike systems. However, philosopherswheel.com did mention um, their their musings and their findings with the Enneagram, which is the Enneagram actually has nine numbers. And actually that the overall arching theory is that we are all nine numbers, even though we identify with one type. So we're all nine types. We have all nine types in us at all times, even though we might identify with one type um, in general. But with the philosopher's wheel, um, they had noticed that while we have these nine types, we also have the nine main planets in astrology, which kind of got me a little excited and also kind of got the wheels turning a little bit. Um, they said, you know, it, you know, instead of being ruled by the astrological signs, the nine types could be ruled by the main nine planets that we use in astrology and that could help us link the two. And, you know, furthermore, even though the Enneagram is shrouded in mystery with its origins, they actually mentioned that the Enneagram is very much linked to astrology. They even say it is astrology. Now, I'm not sure if it is astrology because it is a different system, but it is interesting that each type, you know, knowing that each type embodies a particular character, you know, set of characteristics that each type is ruled by a ruling planet. Now, any astrology also went into this a little bit, but um, quite frankly, with the author of any astrology, she gave different planets than what I became familiar with because there were other um, sources that also had the same theory that um, each type has a ruling planet. Um, however, with any astrology, it's way different because I think, um, the author is kind of measuring the vices of each type and assigning a particular planet because of those vices, whereas others are just kind of assigning the planets based off of the general characteristics of each type. But, um, I'm going to give a uh, philosopher's wheel, the yeah, site philosopherswheel.com. And just kind of go through each type just in brief with their planets as well. Um, this will lead us into how this relates when it comes to the birth chart, um, when it comes to finding our type via astrology. So here we go. So kind of starting with type one. So type one, type one is ruled by Mercury. Now I thought this was very interesting because type ones are considered to be the reformer or the perfectionist, and usually that's kind of the title that's um, reserved for type one. But I thought that it was interesting that Mercury should be its main planetary ruler because um, those, so Mercury is usually utilized with thinking and communication in our charts and wherever the sign 
happens to be located is how we think, um, how we also speak, how we plan, um, how we also use logic and reasoning. Um, with type ones, while they're reforming, they always like to reform and improve on society. They also like to reform and improve their environments. Sometimes this reforming and, um, you know, this reforming sort of situation can become perfectionistic. And within the perfectionism of type one, they can kind of get stuck in black and white thinking as well as right or wrong or also compartmentalized thinking. And like I said, I thought this was interesting that they were ruled by Mercury because those who are Mercury dominant, particularly Gemini and Virgo, Virgo, I see this a little bit more. Geminians sometimes can embody this. But uh, they sometimes go down that path where, especially with Virgos, where it's like something is either right or it's wrong. There is no gray area. It's either this or that. And that's definitely the workings of type one. That's like one of their pitfalls, along with just letting the perfectionism go. Um so I just I thought that that was that was truly interesting. I kind of hopped up and down because it's like, wow, cool. It, it's like the the signs are kind of um, becoming related and more than one sign can be assigned to one type. But that that seemed to make sense. Um, so for type two, uh, another type that seemed to make sense. Actually, all the types made sense with the planetary rulers. But type two is ruled by the moon. Um, and like cancer, um, the, you know, who is ruled by the moon in astrology. Um, so the moon basically governs our emotions primarily, as well as our inner world and our true selves with type two, they are actually considered to be the helper and they like to put other people in front of themselves. Um, they like to put other people's needs in front of their own in order to feel a sense of not only belonging, but also to feel, um, you know, cared for. Um, you know, they feel like in order to be cared for, they have to care for others. The biggest draw, so very much, um, before I get into the biggest drawback, that's very much like cancer, actually. And I think in the cancer season episode, I did refer to type two. And, um, with uh, Cancerians, they like to feel as though they're nurturing and supporting the people that they love, and they will put the people who they love and who they care for and their needs above their own. Um, sometimes, like with type 2, Cancerians can feel a little burnt out in life. Type 2 also, type 2 in um, the Enneagram, also kind of um, nixes their self-care, which Cancerians can also do as well. Um, so again, the, the biggest thing is how to balance caring for others with a little bit of self-care for themselves as well, too. Okay, moving into type three. Type three is actually... There's a couple of different terms. I usually look at type three as being the businessman, businesswoman. I also see type three as being the, you know, the successful charismatic type. Um, but type three is actually ruled by the sun. 
and very much like Leo, uh, type threes love to, they feel as though they're making a, you know, they feel um, special and they feel worthwhile when they're making achievements and great achievements at that in the world. They're the types who they will move boulders, they will move mountains in order for the praise of those who actually see that person moving the mountains and moving the boulders. Uh, they're very, very hard workers. Success is super important to them because with that, they feel that success defines them. Um, the biggest factor with type threes, as we can kind of see, when they go down the rabbit hole of getting enmeshed into their work, almost to the point to where their relationships with others also suffer, they kind of have an issue with deceit. Sometimes they like to deceive and read the crowd, deceive people to kind of get them to think that they're one mold um, within society. But along with deceiving people, they can also deceive themselves. They can deceive themselves in thinking that they are only worth what they're working for or they're only worth the title, the highest title that they can actually achieve in life as opposed to they're their own human beings. In a way, I do find, um, you know, so the sun rules Leo. I do find this kind of similar to Leo because especially when Leo's going down the ill-gotten path, Leos can kind of come up to, gee, I'm defined by how much attention I get from other people. I'm also defined by, you know, the, the nice clothes and the nice accessories that I have on and defined by, you know, the, the regal appearance and the regal status that comes with the sign as well. So this is, this is quite interesting that I, that I, again, so far we're kind of aligning very well um, between the two systems. Okay. So type four is the individualist or the romantic. So this type like Pisces is ruled by Neptune and this type actually kind of like Pisces, they're kind of a little impractical they're the very creative types of the Enneagram. They're very, very creative. The thing that becomes their vice though is that they love melancholy. They feel like melancholy is just like a natural thing for them. And they also kind of get a little enmeshed in the emotions. Um, some uh, Enneagram enthusiasts also state that type fours can also get really enmeshed in spirituality as well as they can get really kind of enmeshed in spiritual, you know, not only spirituality, but just systems that kind of reach above the consciousness level. Very much like with Pisces, when they kind of think about science or all that is or goddess and God or just, you know, when they're either daydreaming or when they're also just kind of, um, you know, outside of themselves, really. With Pisces, it's kind of hard to reel them back in to the earthly plane because of their imaginations and their thoughts as their thought process. The same with type fours. Actually, what's usually recommended, just like with Pisces, kind of coming down um, to the ground and being like in the moment is usually really great for type fours and also really great for Pisces as well too, you know, to kind of 
instead of, um, you know, with type fours, they kind of get lost in the past and lost in nostalgia. Uh, Pisces, they kind of get lost in any time frame, you know, neither thinking about the future or thinking about the past. Um, so sometimes I just, I kind of invite Pisces and I also invite those who are type four and Ian Morgan Cron, who is a type four, also advocates kind of, you know, having a centering practice where you kind of come into the moment. So whether that's mindfulness meditation, um, whether that's kind of practicing Zen um, or practicing a myriad of different meditation techniques, um, it usually highly, highly recommended as well. So moving on to type five. Now type five was a little interesting because I thought for sure they would be ruled by Mercury as opposed to type one. But I kind of, I can kind of see the reasoning with this one. Type five is actually ruled by Uranus. Now Uranus is a form of, and so Joy Marchaud calls Uranus just as she calls, um, Neptune. Neptune is high Venus. Uranus, um, in contrast, is high Mercury. And what she means by that is basically Uranus can be similar to Mercury, except there's like a higher level of um, mental concentration. Um, there's a higher level of, you know, mercurial tendencies with Uranus. Well, especially since it's very energetic and erratic, <laughs> definitely um, a higher level than with Mercury. Just like um, whereas with uh, Neptune is considered to be high Venus, it's, you know, higher levels of compassion, higher levels of thinking about other people and thinking about more than just oneself. But anyway, with type fives, they're usually, I think they're considered to be the instigators or the investigators. They actually like to research a lot. They like to acquire knowledge and they like to specialize in things that don't need specialization. They kind of like to specialize in everything in life, mainly because they feel they are inadequate without all of their information. They also have issues with managing time and managing their energy levels. They always feel that when they engage with other people, they feel that their um, battery kind of runs low, so to speak. And so they feel like they have to recharge often if they have to be in social situations. Preferably with type fives, they would rather be kind of like studying or looking into a matter or researching into a matter or even learning a lot more than what they already have learned. They kind of like add to their knowledge. They'd rather kind of sit away somewhere and kind of know things from their own perspective than engage socially. Although I'm sure that there are exceptions to the rules with some type fives, but I can see now where type fives would be ruled by Uranus. Um, they have this, it's Mercury, but it's like Mercury on the highest vibe possible. You know, they, um, they love to acquire knowledge. They have a sense of scarcity, um, obviously with planning the time with people. 
And also, you know, playing the resources to where their their personal battery is not depleted. And also, um, you know, and just feeling as though their worth is enmeshed in how much they know. Um, in some ways, I think I, I can see why I thought I was a type five when I was in um, high school, because I grew up with a learning disability. And, um, you know, a lot of the time in order to compensate, I tried to know a lot more um, about the subject matter, sometimes took on uh, um, sub, some subject matters for independent study so that I felt adequate coming into class and I felt adequate going to school every single day. You know, it's like I almost had to over prepare <laughs> in order to be prepared, whereas other students might just end up just doing their homework. And that was that. Um, you know, so I, I could kind of see, I could kind of see where I could identify with that. Unfortunately, as I've grown older, that hasn't been the case, especially in the regard where type fives like to watch as opposed to engage. That's so is when I'm, when I'm involved, like in a fitness class, I'm engaged. You know, you better believe I'm out on the floor. I'm participating with everybody. I'm engaged. Whereas with a type five, they would not be. They would rather watch the class, kind of mull it over, think about it, think about the concepts before actually engaging. They would take their time to engage to see whether or not the form of fitness um, or the subject really kind of enmeshes with what they're learning already as well, too. So um, with type fives, kind of like with Uranus, um, very heavy cerebral energy. Um, can be kind of sporadic sometimes too. Like they can, you know, learn all about botany one day, but then suddenly learn about all about geology the other day and then learn about all the arts and crafts the other day. They, they can kind of, um, especially when they're in stress, they can kind of seem manic almost, or they can kind of seem like they hop from one subject to another. Um, and that definitely can fit the description of Uranus, which can be very sporadic. Um, and very, you know, high energy as well as very kind of providing manic energy, almost ungrounded manic energy. Um, the two rulers for Uranus are usually Capricorn and Aquarius. I usually liken type fives to Capricorns myself because of just their dedication. Um, Capricorns love to know more about particular ventures before they take them on. They like to be the ones to lay the foundation um, of a particular subject matter before they, you know, they investigate, especially with business. They like to lay the foundation before building the company up. And with type fives, they would love that because of the, the scarcity. You know, the scarcity thing is they're, they feel like a sense of depletion when it comes to knowledge and therefore they compensate for it. The scarcity is also not wanting to engage with people because they just run them down a lot. With Capricorns, you know, Capricorns can engage with people, but I think the scarcity is really how to be economical with your time and how to get the most out of your business or how to get the most out of your career. Also how to get the most out of your life, um, you know, in planning wisely and planning frugally and um, in some cases in growing up a little quickly. 
And I kind of see where type fives and Capricorns as young kids grow up very quickly, burn through their karma and move forward um, or really kind of progress forward as well, too. But yeah, definitely um, kind of a link there as well. So type sixes are ruled by Saturn. Um, so actually with Saturn, um, it, this is also kind of interesting. And actually, I think I probably mixed up the two. I look at type five as being very Capricorn, even though actually Uranus is just ruled by Aquarius. So my mistakes there, although I feel like Capricorn can fit type five very well. Type six, um, I see the ruling of Saturn, mainly because type six, otherwise known as the loyalists or questioners, usually are guided by fear. And they're always asking what if with everything. They're always like guided by anxiety. And they're always, like I said, they're always questioning their environment for the what ifs when it comes to their lives. Um, you know, I feel like the what ifs, knowing that I have generalized anxiety disorder and knowing that I am governed sometimes by what ifs myself, there are times where it is restrictive um, being and having generalized anxiety disorder, I will also say is hell of a restrictive. <laughs> uh, there were times in my life where I was, it was so restrictive to where I almost had problems getting out of my room and getting out of my house because of debilitating anxiety. And I had to almost like force myself to go out into reality and say, Hey, we still got to live life. And with sixes, it's really their challenge is to see what works as opposed to, you know, um, kind of developing um, plans for the worst case scenario, which they're usually prone to doing, developing plans for what works, what's actually and also looking out for what's actually positive in life as opposed to just what's negative in life as well. Um, Kyle, you know, it very much different from someone who deals with generalized anxiety disorder, but um, they're kind of like getting out of their own shell and out of their own restrictions with Saturn when they're kind of moving away from thinking about worst case scenarios and planning for worst case scenarios as well. Um, Saturn is ruled by Capricorn as well as Aquarius. Like I said, I, I mixed the, the, uh, Uranus and Saturn up. So like I said, again, my apologies, but I do see the links with Aquarius. Aquarians can kind of have that worst case scenario thinking and that worst case scenario planning, um, especially when they're on to their own philosophical bent Sometimes they can kind of get a little nihilistic um, at times. So um, I can kind of see the link there. Um, but really with type sixes, again, um, I think, and also with Aquarians, um, with Aquarians, when they get in that nihilistic sense, you know, to start thinking more on the positive um, and start thinking of where humanity is serving them as opposed to not. Um, because they kind of, you know, come into this thinking of it's all hopeless. Everyone's out for themselves. Why do I even bother? And it's not all hopeless. It's just I think you're vibing, you know, the way that you're vibing, the way that you're thinking is, you know, attracting you to the like minded people 
as to how you're thinking. So it's like change the, the thought patterns a little bit to where you can bond with more of the the higher vibing people, those who are more truly philanthropic and those who are more um, truly invested in humanity as a whole. Okay, type sevens. So type sevens, otherwise known as the Apicures, um, are actually ruled by Jupiter. Now, this is very befitting, <laughs> very, very befitting, because like Sagittarius and like Gemini, uh, type sevens actually avoid pain by planning something that's exciting. They, they're always looking for the new and next exciting thing. Ian Morgan Cron also mentions that, you know, this doesn't make them less functional. They can be high functioning. Um, they can still work within an environment, but that environment needs a lot of spice and a lot of freedom and a lot of excitement and also a lot of variety because they kind of get easily bored and less motivated by the typical nine to five schedule. Um, these types can also, type sevens can have a really bad case of FOMO or the fear of missing out, mainly because um, they're, I mean, if they miss out on one thing, it feels like they're missing out on a great opportunity out in the world. And like I said, they kind of feel this way because, again, they're avoiding the pain and the suffering that occurs within life. And I think their struggle is really that the thing that they are challenged to do really is to accept the pain and to accept the suffering and to accept that everybody goes through that and that actually running away and doing fun things or running away by being, you know, the life of the party or somebody who's really fun and exciting all the time that actually makes the problems that they're facing through worse because they're avoiding the problems, not actually resolving them. Um, I see this play out a lot with Geminians, also sometimes with Sagittarians. You know, even though um, Jupiter is usually ruled by Sagittarius, um, I could see Gemini in here as well. Because Geminians, they're always after like what's new, what's exciting, and also learning as much as they can, um, as much as possible. And really, again, um, it could be to avoid pain and suffering. Sometimes it's also just to avoid boredom and, you know, the overall boredom of life because they are very quick witted individuals, very much like sevens. Um, and I see Sagittarius in this as well because they're also the continuous adventurers questing for the meaning of life when really the meaning of life could be within one's suffering. The meaning of life could be within that problem that still is waiting for that resolution and that's still waiting for your attention. Um, so uh, definitely I would also advocate the same advice that is given to sevens, you know, to kind of embrace pain or, and I don't want to say embrace pain, but, you know, really, um, deal with the things that you are, that you're avoiding or that you're, um, you know, running away from as opposed to just running away from them, um, in order to resolve those issues so that you have more time for the fun and you have more time for um, looking at the world with the rosy outlook or seeking adventures or seeking meaning out of those adventures in life. 
All right, so type 8 is ruled by Mars. Type 8 is also known as being the boss. So usually type 8s I kind of consider to be like Scorpio or Aries. They have a tremendous amount of drive to get a tremendous amount of work done. But um, aside from that, they're actually motivated by the fact that, you know, in childhood, they were very vulnerable and somehow they felt that somebody had wronged them when they're at their most vulnerable. Also, when they're at their most vulnerable, someone took advantage of them. And for that reason to compensate for that trauma in childhood, type eights usually become, they want to become in charge. They want to take control. They want to be the leaders in everything that they do. Um, in order to comp in order to avoid feeling vulnerable or feeling, um, you know, I, I think actually vulnerability is really a good word. That's one of their, their biggest fears that is to avoid vulnerability. And I kind of feel like Scorpio and Aries, um, they tend to do the same thing. You know, Aries is always just spurred by spur of the moment. Uh, in fact, Stephen Forrest had mentioned with Aries, um, sometimes Aries also being, you know, uh, knowing the bittersweetness of spring, you know, whereas everybody's like, hey, the birds are out and everything's in bloom and everything's looking rosy. Um, you know, Aries is usually the type where they say, yeah, but the baby birds are going to be kicked out of the nest soon. Some are going to live and some are going to die. And they're like, just like with the baby birds that are kicked out of the nest, I want to make sure that I live. And so they kind of, they're motivated almost by like a survival of the fittest. I hate to say it, but they're like kind of a survival of the fittest mentale. This, you know, I have to accomplish these things or I could become weak. I could become the weakest link and I can't live with myself doing that. You know, I have to have the best car. I have to have the best house, the best career, the best in everything down the line. Uh, Scorpio, however, before I get to Scorpio, they do um, mask a lot of vulnerability, especially when they have the idea that comes to mind. They seek for that idea. And sometimes it just does. It's like the ram that batters itself up against a plexiglass wall. Um, you know, they're kind of, they can't really, their vulnerability, they, they really have a hard time facing defeat and they really have a hard time facing not making things happen sometimes. And, um, again, I think the biggest thing for type eights is really do away, try to do away with control, but also really embracing the vulnerability the missing link um, in their in their lives, really embracing vulnerability and seeing it as being human as opposed to seeing it as a vice that needs to be stamped out of them. And I think that that would be a good message for Aries, also for Scorpio, because Scorpios also tend to mask the fact that they are very they're being water signs. They're very sensitive souls and very intuitive souls, and they usually kind of build themselves up sorry, build themselves up with a lot of armor to mask the vulnerability, mainly because same thing, they, they probe for the truth and they've seen the truth in early childhood where somebody took advantage of them or somebody took advantage of somebody that they dearly loved 
or somebody, you know, like I said, again, with um, Scorpios, they tend to usually see the really nasty sides of life play out at a very early age. So again, um, really embracing, you know, especially with it, since they had that hard outer shell, trying to lift that armor up a little bit and embracing vulnerability, also embracing that things aren't really extremely predictable um, with seeing the truths in life and that the truth is not everything, that sometimes it's okay to not know. Sometimes it's okay, you know, to, um, well, be vulnerable, but also that it's okay to not be the first one to probe to the truth and say, I told you so, or be the first one to pro probe to the truth and say, oh, yeah, I know you. It's okay to not know people. It's okay to not know circumstances. It's okay to walk in with a little naivete um, and with a little bit of that vulnerability still left, in, uh, still left in place as well. All right, last but not least, type nines. So type nines are ruled by Venus. Venus also being ruled by both Taurus and Libra. And very much like Libra, but also very much like Taurus. Um, type nines hate drama. They avoid it more than anything. They love keeping the peace. However, their law, their um, fear is that they're going to be forgotten because they just go with everybody's flow. They just go with everyone's agenda that sometimes they neglect their own needs and also very much like type two but also they kind of feel that they're going along with everyone's needs in order to be memorable because somehow in early childhood, they felt like they were left out for some reason. And that reason could be that they were, they, they really loved that sense of harmony within a family and that somehow broke up or everybody is their, is their own individual and they really didn't like the whole individuality, you know, you know, everyone branching off and being their own individual. They really kind of liked it when everyone was a peaceful, cohesive whole. And they try to strive for that um, within life. Um, very much like Libra and with Taurus, they don't like to rock, you know, Taurus, when they're not being stubborn, they don't like to rock the boat. They like things to move harmoniously. And, you know, especially with Libra, they like to keep the balance. They like to keep the peace at all costs. They hate it when people are in discord, when they're fighting. And um, really, they just they like to be very agreeable, sometimes to the detriment of not taking care of themselves and taking care of their own needs. You know, sometimes they might need something. They secretly want something, but they don't want to, you know, mention it to somebody lest it should offend them. Um, with Taurus, sometimes it's um, they do know what they want, but they kind of like to go about it in pleasurable ways, again, in order to not rock the boat as well. And the main recommendation for type nines is obviously go outside your comfort zone. They, they kind of, you know, uh, seek they kind of avoid discomfort. So going outside your comfort zone um, really also. Um, really kind of valuing the individual and really drawing boundaries, making sure that people aren't taking advantage of you and your kindness and that you're drawing boundaries as necessary and that, you know, you're your own 
individual as well too, and embracing your individuality as well. So the reason why I mentioned all the types and their ruling planets is that when it comes to the birth chart, one thing that I feel that determines the type is that um, if say, I would just say that there's the strong planets or the planets that are strong in your chart. So planets that are found within your first house, your fourth house, seventh house or 10th house. And also, you know, finding your type if you're kind of maybe leaning towards a dominant planet or dominant traits that might be particular to um, the planet that rules each type within the Enneagram. Also, it's good to get a good introduction to all the nine types as well. But in, uh, the other thing that I also thought of when it came to determining your type, and again, this is completely, completely on my own, um, really kind of seeing uh, where psychological planets lie. So the psychological planets for me are Pluto. Um, others have mentioned Mercury as well. And Vedic astrology also considers the therapist, the, the plant that rules therapy and also therapists is Jupiter. So seeing where those guys lie within the chart, which signs they lie within and what sort of angles they make. And if there's like maybe a common theme that kind of links them. So with that said, I'd like to pause for the cause for just a little bit and come back with a chart example chart. I'm going to say it. Um, it's about my mom, um, who I think is a type one. But um, let's see if her chart confirms this. And let's see if, um, you know, if the chart matches my theory and, you know, see what who she like, what, which type she really is due to her birth chart and how that could be used as a tool for her. Alright, so coming back to the birth chart of my mom when it comes to her Enneagram type. So using her birth chart to kind of help her identify her type because she's kind of like me where it's like she read type one and she was like, well, some of the things okay, but I'm not really identifying with it fully. And again, uh, like I said, this is a, this is just yet another tool. Um, it's not a, you know, final case scenario. But uh, one thing that I noticed with my mom's chart, so I remembered when I said the first, fourth, seventh, and tenth houses, she actually has four planets in her seventh house. Um, that is uh, her sun, Neptune, Saturn, as well as her moon. So um, her moon being in Virgo. So the first thing that I can kind of see, the moon being that of our inner natures, um, so first off, the moon is not really that strong being in Virgo. It's not in its natural element. It's not in Cancer, which is its natural ruler. However, um, moon in Virgo usually indicates someone who's very philanthropic and also who likes, you know, they feel emotionally comfortable, not only when they have as close to a nuclear family as possible growing up, but also they feel emotionally comfortable when they are responsible and they're making the right decisions um, in life, as well as when things are kind of precise. 
And I think it's my mom's moon sign being in Virgo that kind of made me think that she was also a type one because she's that type where when we've sat at the dinner table, silverware has to match or when I wear an outfit, it has to perfectly match. Or when she's working on a project, the dyes have to be in such a great shade in order to where they somewhat match or they blend really well together. You know, to my eye, um, you know, she, I, I can't really distinguish the difference between two types of yarns that she's mulling over when she does a crochet project. But in actuality, she's looking at the precision, like how precisely each thing, um, each color blends in as well. Plus, when she gets into political theory, she's all about what's right as opposed to what's wrong, punishing the wrongdoers, making upholding what's right and what's valuable for our democracy. So um, that's probably where I kind of got where she was a type one, and that can be a type one tendency. But we also have her son's tendencies as well, too. Her son is actually conjunct both Neptune and it looks like Saturn as well. Um, so the Saturn um, sun conjunct, usually what I see, because she actually, her sun is in Libra. I kind of see the Saturn conjunct as being, she becomes the type of Libra where it's, you know, Libra is usually kind of indicated as being kind of easygoing. They have a hard time making up their mind. Um, however, with that Saturn influence, it's like she actually has the hard scales of justice, for sure. And I've seen this within childhood. I've seen this just with an interaction with her where it's either things are really right and they should be up, those things that are right should be upheld or things are wrong and things should be, you know, up, you know, things should be punished if they are wrong. Or like when I would come home and I mentioned something as to what I did with a friend, she would weigh it as, oh, this was right, but how you treat your friend in this way in X, Y, and Z is wrong. You know, like deceiving a friend. Deceiving a friend is wrong. It's like you need to make this right. You need to make the scales balance by apologizing to that friend for deceiving her, him or her. And um, not that I actually did that, but it's just a common example. But, you know, make it right and then also make sure that you don't do that in the future. Deception is not everything. You know, deception actually leads to more wrongdoing, which tips over the scales and makes justice a very hard thing indeed. So, again, this whole notion of this is right, this is wrong that's a very type one tendency as well. However, with the conjunction with Neptune, my mom also has had a tendency of actually really blending in with people and almost like being super empathetic with people to where she kind of blends in with them, blends in with the crowd, but also starts like taking on their pain um, at times. There have been times in the past where I've worried about her because she took on a lot of pain from emotional vampires and those who really would have been better off being by themselves working through their own issues or by their family uh, working through their own issues as well. 
and really kind of taking charge of their own life. It's like they kind of leaned on my mom as a crutch in order to take um, charge of their own problems and charge of their own life. And it really kind of drained or dry when it came to her energy. You know, she also meets a lot of people with compassion and with a lot of giving. Um, another couple of Neptune traits as well, too. Um, sometimes when she'd blend into the crowd, she'd kind of take on characteristics from that crowd, too. Or when she'd blend in with someone, she would sometimes take on those characteristics of that individual. Um, again, kind of that high compassion of Neptune, but also kind of like the... Um, deception that Neptune can kind of bring with with it but to me just the fact that she wants she has wanted to help and the fact that you know sometimes she had sacrificed her own comfort and her energy you know since um, my 20s she had learned how to um, manage her energy a bit better so she doesn't allow for energy vampires to just kind of drain her dry and she kind of avoids energy vampires at this point. But, you know, to have this high compassion and this high amount of empathy, um, that strikes me as a type two, you know, and wanting to help, wanting to give guidance, wanting to help others. Um, that also strikes me as being a type two in her chart as well. That sounds like type two. Um, far more than type nine. She just she doesn't just necessarily just go with the flow. She's trying to help out individuals who she deems are dire that need help. And so I, that's why I kind of determine the type two um, uh, characteristic in the Enneagram. With her Mercury placement being in Scorpio, she values truth um, over any sort of fictitious, you know, she values truth within everything. And also it's, um, especially when it comes to politics, but not even just politics, just in general, when it comes to facts, it's like, don't BS me. Don't give me a ton of lies. I'll see right through it. Please tell me the truth. Please tell me what, and there were lots of times too, especially when I was growing up where it's, what do you mean? Yada, yada, yada. What do you mean? You know, that that's definitely the Scorpio probing. But, um, in this regard with Mercury, again, one of the, um, the, uh, philosophy, not philosophical, sorry, the psychological planets, uh, being in Scorpio, I'm kind of seeing type eight tendencies in there. Uh, Pluto being in Leo, wanting to really take charge. I see more of that type eight tendency as well. And then, of course, uh, with Mars being in her 10th house, which is another prominent place in her chart, I can kind of see that, um, you know, she was very dedicated and very, um, you know, very much a go-getter when she was within transcription. And um, with the go-getter, I mean, again, with Mars being in the 10th house, you would be a go-getter. You don't quit at, at all costs, and you make sure that you get the job done. You make sure you not only get the job done, you excel at it a 1,000%, and you are climbing up to the highest position as you possibly can, and you don't settle for less. And to me, I kind of see that, again, too, as a type 8 sort of quality. So um, with looking at my mom's chart and when I mentioned um, all these factors, 
what does she identify with? Which, which sort of type does she identify with the most? And I think that actually she had said that she really identifies with type 2 um, as well as type 1 uh, within the Enneagram. So both the helper and the perfectionist. Um, she said she likes to help, uh, likes to help, but she also likes things to be in order. Um, and that kind of makes sense. So she could be like a two wing one. Um, that's kind of Enneagram speak of, you know, you, you, there's a, like a whole section about wings. I don't, I, I don't think I'll go down that road, just not necessarily yet. But what that means is you can have a dominant type of the two personality, but you can also have some of the characteristics of your neighboring number with the type one. Uh, you can be heavy on that type one. Also, she is a type two. She can also have characteristics of type three where she wants to excel and be the best, um, where her sense of identity is to excel and to be the best as well. Um, you know, kind of like with with Leo, you know, having some Leo characteristics in there. And I kind of thought like Pluto being in Leo, too, was kind of interesting. Um but yeah, she could have like, like I said, those type three tendencies as well. Um, as for me, when I looked at my chart, um, what did I determine my type to be? Well, this one was a trickier one. I had to um, really assess my chart away from how I view things personally. But due to the fact that I have my son not only in Leo, but also in the first house, along with Venus. So the son in the first house in Leo indicates type 3. But also the fact that Venus, even though it's not conjunct, it's still in the same house. I would say, you know, this is an individual who likes peace, does not like drama, really values peace at all costs, or really values peace and really avoids drama more than anything that's kind of a type nine characteristic. Um, you know, with uh, Jupiter actually being one of the psychological planets being in Libra and then or not in Libra in, in Sagittarius, but also being in my fourth house along with Uranus. Um, again, that's like having the freedom to roam, ha embracing really big ideas, especially sociopolitical ideas. So I see that as type seven. So there's there, there's that option. Um, and then having other psychological planets. Uh, so basically Pluto um, being within Libra and being uh, conjunct both Saturn and my moon. So with uh, Pluto, with my moon, I tend to have tendencies of power mongering and I need to transform those tendencies of power mongering and manipulation. Um, in order to excel and to move higher um, above my base tendencies. To me, that sounds like a type 8 tendency. Pluto conjunct Saturn, um, you know, again, doing away with restrictions. That also sounds very type 8-ish. However, Saturn conjunct my moon, being kind of sobered, very serious, and uh, very kind of dedicated towards learning, especially towards learning. I was very serious, and sometimes I can have a very serious worldview at times. Um, the seriousness, I think, could be like type 5. That could also be type 8. That could also be type 6. So I had a couple of different types coming out of that one. But uh, 
then also to take a look at the other psychological planet, Mercury, that's actually in Virgo, that also indicates type one. So again, we kind of have some, you know, kind of like with my mom's chart, we kind of have some patterns, but we also have some variations. What I have seen is that I think I am a type nine myself, um, possibly with a one wing. Um, there are times too where I see that eight wing pop up as well. I'm not the sort, you know, I can go with the flow. I really don't like drama and I really like peace at all costs. Um, but you know, I really like peace, but I'm not a pushover. I will, it's like, if you threaten me, I will fight back and I will fight back tooth and nail like a type eight. Um, I also do like a sense of order within society. I do like a sense of order within life. I don't like complete total chaos that drives me nuts. So um, that kind of tips my scales. That kind of makes me feel really unbalanced and really, um, you know, kind of not in harmony. So I feel like that type one uh, wing can also factor into play. But again, I'd have to take a look at type nine again, and I would have to take a look at those three types again as well that kind of emerge uh, from my, ch my chart. So stargazers, what can this say about, you know, what can these planets that reveal a type say about our personalities or what, not about our personalities, but how we relate? Well, it can reveal a lot about subconscious behaviors that we engage in that we're not always very privy to. It can actually reveal um, our, you know, like kind of subconscious behaviors. Like I really had to think about um, it took me a, a, to a crisis point to really realize that I really hate drama. And, you know, like a type nine, I really don't like drama. I really can't stand drama. I can't thrive on it like type eight. And I can't really, um, you know, plan for the plan for it either like type six or, you know, I, I'm not like other types where they can deal with drama in a different calm, methodical manner. I, I fight against it. I hate it. <laughs> you know, I hate it so much that I fight against it and I make sure that drama never brews ever again. Now, um, where this could come into detriment, you know, for me, it could be that, you know, avoiding drama can be nice to a point. Um, sometimes to quote Hindu theory, sometimes we need a little chaos in order to kind of eat away at the stagnation that harmony sometimes brings. So sometimes chaos can be inevitable and how having to, you know, and dealing with chaos and balancing that out, I think that's far more, um, that's definitely a trait that needs to be cultivated within me in order to deal with the highs and the lows when it comes to relating, because sometimes not everything is harmonious and sometimes, you know, I have to go out of my comfort zone um, or sometimes I have to, you know, I have to deal with something that is dramatic in order to come to a better outcome or solution. For my mom who likes to help people and who likes to give to other people, really um, not only finding boundaries, but finding times where she can give back to herself I think is very important for her in relationships so that she's not drained dry by vampires, 
but also being a little more choosy with who she with whom she hangs out with, you know, not just helping everybody out as type twos tend to do, but actually being a little more selective with people so that she's not helping out an energy vampire who just doesn't take her recommendations and who just doesn't help herself or himself out, just, you know, kind of tries to drag my mom down under the bus with them and make her feel as miserable as they're feeling. So um, really uh, finding high vibing people has been very important to her. You know, being of help wherever help is needed, but, you know, really trying to help out those who are really high vibing individuals and might be down on their luck and really could use the help and really utilize my help or utilize the help. Um, a good example was when my cousin had lost her son um, in 2021 and he was only 31 years old by the way but she lost him to what appeared to be a seizure disorder uh, with my mom she has tried to help my uh, my cousin through the grieving process by um, you know not only seeing not only listening to her compassionately when she's mentioned that she has an area for a son, but also like making a blanket for her in honor of her son and also to make a blanket for her to help her through the grieving process. And knowing my cousin, my cousin's a very high vibing person. She did not, you know, no one deserves to have their kids snatched away from them with death at all. Um, but my cousin is a very high vibing person and I think that that's a, that's a good cause. Also, um, my mom has done things like crochet hats and donate them to, uh, charity. And I think that that's also another good high vibing cause that makes her feel really great and makes her feel really better and makes her feel really worthy and contributed at, you know, like she's con contributing to harmony in life. But again, also um, crocheting helps her to recharge and to take care of herself. So it's like she's using something that's self-care for charity as well. So um, I think that's where this could like, again, kind of help her to benefit herself and to relate in a far more um, healthier manner as opposed to just trying to help out energy vampires all the time and you know, kind of blending in with them and associating with them. It's like she's kind of blending in with more high vibing people, which I think is much better for her and much better for her family dynamic, as well as for her relationship with her husband. So Stargazers, this is comes to the end of my episode. I do hope that this was helpful. I do hope that this was not only new, kind of like a type seven sort of mental, it was not only very new and exciting and informative, but I also do help that if you guys are, if you do, if you do get into the Enneagram, a couple of resources that I recommend are The Road Back to You by Ian Morgan Cron, uh, The Enneagram as a Guide to Waking Up by Beatrice Chestnut and Uranio Paez. Um, I also recommend Diana Palmer, um, her, her books as well too, as well as, um, Riso and Hudson as well too, who also have a test in their name as well. 
And like I said, stargazers, if you do happen to use the astrology tool, um, you know, using your astrological chart, please note that it's just a tool um, that can help you just to um, determine your type. But definitely, again, do the research, um, you know, kind of read up on the type and really, again, you know, have fun with it above and beyond all. Um, I, like I said, the Enneagram is a very wonderful tool, um, especially when you come to Beatrice Chestnut, because the Enneagram uh, for waking up or using the Enneagram for waking up, she kind of um, has some points for each Enneagram type of how to become healthy as opposed to just sticking to unhealthy habits a lot of the time. So it's a really, it, it opens up a lot of great can of worms and a lot of good things um, within life. But above all, stargazers, um, I just hope that, you know, again, feel free to look up at the stars. We're coming up to a full moon as of August the 1st, which will also be Lamas or Lugnasta. So happy Lugnasta to those who are celebrating. I hope that you are safe. Um, it's also just a way to just pause if you are having just a moment, especially with all things retrograde right now. Uh, we have Venus joining in the fray, so that's always that's always a good time to take a pause. And you know, it's always you know, with retrograde planets, it's always a good time to take a pause whenever you can. But above all, stargazers, between this week and next week, I hope you are well. And until then, I will speak to you uh, then. If you would like to contact Sandra Misek with any questions or comments. You can do so at either mysic.sandra at gmail.com. Mysic is spelled M-I-S-E-K. You can also visit her at her Instagram page at sandra.mysic. Again, that's M-I-S-E-K. Also, for as little as $2 a month, you, be, you can become a Patreon to this podcast. Visit patreon.com forward slash 7th House Astrology for more details.